It's an amazing teaching, isn't it? You know, it's true, I want to be gentle. I want to be clear, though, too. We live in the era of the 24-hour news cycle, don't we? If you want, you can have notifications going off on your phone all the time. You can have your cable TV blaring all day long. You can do it. And you can hear all these breathless talking heads giving commentary to all of it. You know how it is? Zelensky addresses Congress about the war in Ukraine, earthquake in Japan, inflation at 40-year highs, and everybody's talking about it. We might be the most informed people on earth. We also might be the most distracted about what ultimately matters. The following is a sermon from Peace Lutheran, a church located in downtown Aiken, South Carolina. For more information and for more content, go to peaceinaiken.com. Well, this scripture came as a lightning bolt to me. It struck my heart. I pray that I can bring it to you so that it's the same for you. Please stand out of respect for the words and the works of Jesus. This is Jesus' great call to repentance here in Luke chapter 13. Here's what he teaches us, our great prophet. Now, there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard. And he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year. And I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not and cut it down. This is the gospel of our Lord. Please be seated. There's much about this teaching from Jesus that's very, very clear. But most of all this, Jesus wants us all to repent. Well, what's repentance? Millions and millions and millions of people agree that one of the most important writings outside of the Bible is something called the Small Called Articles. And there in the Small Called Articles, repentance is defined this way. It is, re it is realizing 
that you all are of no account. Whether you are clear sinners or, or, in your opinion, are a saint. That you all must become different and do otherwise than you now are doing. No matter what sort of people you are, whether you are as great, wise, and powerful, and holy as you may, here, no one is righteous, godly, etc. Become different. Do otherwise and believe Christ's promise of the remission of your sins. There it is. No matter who you are, no matter how godly you are, no matter how good you are, no no matter how sainted you think you are, you are not good enough. You must become different. Believing that is preparation to believe the grace of Christ that your sins are forgiven. Become different. You're not good enough. And believe the grace of Christ. That's how repentance is defined. It's good for us to think about that this time of year. It's Lent. You can see it. The symbols in the church. It's Lent. It's good for us to think about it this time of year. We should think about that all time, all around the year, 365 days a year. We should be repenting because we're sinning every day of our lives. We need to be changing. We need to be repenting. We need to be turning to Christ. We need to be doing it every time of year. But especially Christians think we should do it this time of year, that we should take it seriously to prepare ourselves for the suffering, the death, and the resurrection of Christ so we repent. And what Jesus teaches us about it today is this. That he is the one that has to work that repentance in us. We can't manufacture. That's something that Jesus teaches. We can't just up and decide, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to do it. This, I'm, I'm doing it under my own, but I'm going to do it. I mean, we just can't roll it off the assembly line of our hearts. Jesus has to work that in us. I'll tell you what, you can't do it. That's not what we do. Christ works that in us when it happens. But I'll tell you what we can do. We can get in the way. Christ wants to work repentance in our hearts. He's going to do it. Just work at it today. I'll tell you, we can't can't do it. He has to do it. But I'll tell you what we can do. We can get in the way. We can put up roadblocks. And Jesus teaches you about two roadblocks in particular that can get in his way. And what he says today is don't. Don't let him get in the way. Here's your first don't. He says, says, don't, don't be distracted from your personal sin. Don't let it happen. Okay, so what happens is this. Luke sets this up for us. He says this must have been a national headline and people come, they're all buzzing about it on Twitter and they come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, did you hear what happened? Pilate mixed the blood of some good worshiping Jews, they happen to be Galileans, with their sacrifices. And they stick the mic in his face and they ask him about it. What do you think, Jesus? That's all we need to know, actually, to sort of paint the scene. It's not much, but it's enough. Here's what we can know. Apparently, these Galilean worshiping Jews 
were in Jerusalem. They must have been. That's where sacrifices happen at the temple. It's where Pilate, the governor, was in charge. It must have happened in Jerusalem. It must have happened actually on the Passover. You can take a pretty good guess about that. One of the three big, high, holy days for God's people in the Old Testament must have happened then because that's when you bring a sacrifice of a little lamb to the temple. It's when you do it. And so we can paint the picture. There's hundreds, probably thousands of God's people worshiping in the temple. Pilate gives the order. Roman soldiers come into the temple area, which they were forbidden from doing. They march in there, hundreds, probably thousands of Jews, their draws drop to the ground in fear. And they watch these soldiers march in. And there's these Galileans there. And they're making their sacrifices. And they take out their swords and they cut them down in front of hundreds of people. And their blood stains the floor of the temple and it mixes, it mingles with the blood of the lambs that was slain for them. I don't think it's hard for us to imagine what kind of headline this must have made in the Associated Press. This was religious terrorism of the worst kind. It was political fear-mongering of the worst kind. You can imagine, can't you? Can't you imagine the, the fear and, and the anger that this had happened, that, that a governor would think he could march in and show his sovereignty over the God that they loved, that he would bring fear into the most holy place of their life. Can you imagine how this must have felt? I'll bet you can. If your government did that to you. If one day a governor sent the Marines into one of our churches, there you are and it's Easter. You're celebrating the Lord's Supper together. They stomp in with their Marine gear. They pull out their guns. They mow people down. And the blood mingles with the communion wine. Can you imagine what you would want Jesus to say if that happened to you? And instead he says, don't. That's what happened. They stick the mic in his face. They're thinking he's going to light up Twitter. Jesus, what do you think? I know what he's going to, I know, I know what I want him to say. I want, I want him to condemn the Romans. Those Romans are such awful people. Jesus says, no. You are. Jesus, I know what he's going to, he's, he's going to condemn Pilate, especially, we're thinking that, especially because we know the Apostles' Creed, we know that he's a worse criminal even, even, even than this. I'll tell you who's bad. We're thinking, Jesus, Pilate's bad. He's a criminal. 
Jesus says, no, you are. We're thinking Jesus. We, Jesus, we need to worship in peace. We need to change this corrupt government. And we're thinking, Jesus is going to say, meet me in the center of Jerusalem tomorrow. We're going to take care of this. Let's go. Change is on the way. Nope. He says, you change. You repent. It's an amazing teaching, isn't it? Amazing teaching from Jesus. You know, it's true. I want to be gentle. I want to be clear, though, too. We live in the era of the 24-hour news cycle, don't we? If you want, you can have notifications going off on your phone all the time. You can have your cable TV blaring all day long. You can do it. And you can hear all these breathless talking heads giving commentary to all of it. You know how it is? Zelensky addresses Congress about the war in Ukraine, earthquake in Japan, inflation at 40-year highs, and everybody's talking about it. We might be the most informed people on earth. We also might be the most distracted about what ultimately matters. It's good to be informed. I've always said that. Helps you be a good citizen. Helps you know what to pray about. But sometimes what we're doing in our lives is we're distracting ourselves from ourselves. From the real issue in our lives. Which according to Jesus is us. was reflecting on that earlier this week. One of the aha moments I realized is that in the course of my ministry, I've actually found this to be true. I think it's fair to say that more often I spend time helping people deal spiritually and emotionally with the sins of others than with their own sins. Think about what you talk about in life groups. Think about what you talk about with Christian friends. Think about how you do it in your own head. Let me tell you what. Let me ask you a question. You went to the pump recently. Costs a lot of money. What do you think? Is your first thought something about policy? Or is it, whoa, I might have a problem with greed. Is your first thought when you're dealing with the world, oh, those bad people out there? Or is your first thought, holy cow, I can't even decently pray. Don't you see? Jesus says, you want me to light up Twitter about some kind of modern-day pilot? Not going to do it. You want to you wanna think about all the other bad people. You know what I want you to think about? I want you to think about you. Because part of what our sin does is it tries to distract itself by looking at everybody else so we don't have to look at ourselves. And Jesus says, don't. You're just as bad. 
you repent. Okay, so that's the first way, right? But it's not the only way. Jesus says, don't get distracted from your personal sins. He also says, don't deny your personal judgment. That's the other way you can get in the way. See, Jesus keeps preaching. He, they gave him the mic. He took the mic. He keeps preaching. They talked to him about one national tragedy, so he brings up another. There's another one that made headlines. This thing called the Tower of Siloam collapse runs in the lines of the Florida condo collapse. That kind of thing. This one, it didn't have the religious the spiritual, the political overtones that the first tragedy had. What happened was apparently there was some kind of architectural flaw. There's this big tower in Jerusalem, architectural flaw. Seems like what happened is that there were 18 people who were in the wrong place at the wrong time, and all of a sudden the tower comes down. 18 people die. Tragic accident, right? And Jesus says, if that's what you think it is, no. No. In fact, he implies very clearly they deserved it. Don't deny your personal judgment. See, I want to get into this. Some, some people say what Jesus is doing, this is what Jesus is doing. He's cutting the tie between, between sin and, and death or something like that here. He's doing nothing of the sort. I want you to listen to his teaching here. Here's what he didn't say. He didn't say this. He didn't say this was a tragic accident. He didn't say that. He didn't say, you know, it's a fallen world. Wrong place, wrong time. I get it. We grieve it. It's really sad. He didn't say that. He didn't say, you know, this is what we should do. You know, we got we to gotta fix this. We got we to gotta go after the building codes. He didn't say that either. What did he say? He said, do you think they're worse? He said, because they're not. He said, this is going to happen to all of you unless you repent. I want to help you work this out just for a second. Has anybody ever taught you this? There's three horizons for God's judgment. Three. Here's your first one. Sometimes... God brings judgment during your life here. Sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes what he does is God brings judgment during your life. You're like, like with Pharaoh. Pharaoh, in the Bible story, he takes on God. God brings judgment on Pharaoh. In this life, he kills Pharaoh's firstborn son. Sometimes God brings judgment in this life. That's your first horizon. Here's your second horizon. God will bring judgment at the end of your life. There's a very famous passage about this. Very famous passage, Book of Romans. What does it say? The wages of sin is death. Second horizon. Death is a judgment for your sins. Sometimes it comes sooner for people. Sometimes it comes later for people. But it always comes. The wages of sin is death. That's your second horizon. Death comes for people. Third, 
First in this life, then at the end of your life, and then finally after your life. Jesus does seem to be referring to that. When Jesus says, repent or all perish, perish seems to be here a technical term. A technical term for judgment after death. Eternal perishing. So there's your three horizons. During life, at the end of your life, after death, there is judgment from God. And what Jesus does is he wraps all of this up into a cosmic statement. And he says, unless you repent, God will judge you. So what he's doing here is he's ripping us out of denial. There's a song that often moves me when I hear it. It's a song by a contemporary artist, a woman by the name of Sarah Bareilles. She writes a song called Chasing the Sun. I think the song moves me because I have such strong associations with it. You have to remember, I have a twin brother and his family. They live in Queens, New York. I'm very close to them, obviously. And this song always makes me think of them. Because whenever I go there in Queens, New York, in the center of the city, there is a massive blocks large cemetery. And Sarah Bareilles sings this song called Chasing the Sun where she sits on a tombstone in the cemetery and reflects. She sings the song. She says, here I am. I'm right here in the center of Queens. And I'm thinking about all these people who are under the ground. My feet are a ceiling for them right now. That's what she sings. And she looks at all the tomb dates and and when they had died. And then she looks at the skyscrapers in Manhattan. And she says, these people predate those skyscrapers in Manhattan. And then she has this poetic line. It always moves me. She looks at all these dead people. And she says this. They are three million stunning Reminders. Three million stunning reminders. You want to know how to you want to know how to not repent? Deny that you're already dying. Just deny it. If you want to go into a more sophisticated form of denial, do this. Realize you're dying, but don't realize why. Fail. Fail to see that you are dying for very good reason. Because you haven't done what God has wanted you to do with your life. You can do that. You can spend your days, you can distract yourself from your personal sin, you can deny your personal judgment, you can do it. Many, many people do. Or today, you can do this. You can listen to Jesus. 
and you can repent. And you can repent for all the things that he tells you to repent for. He actually gives you two categories. He, said, he says repent for your sins and repent for your debts. Repent for the things that are evil about you and evil in your life. And repent for the things that you should have done but you didn't do. Things that you owed to God and you owed to your neighbor. But you didn't do it. Repent for both. Both your sins and your debts. Repent for both. So do it. Repent. Repent for you. I'm standing here in the place of Christ. I'm telling you to do it in his name and by his authority. Do it. Repent. Repent for who you are. Repent that you've made your life about you. Which is, which is by definition sin. Repent of it. Repent that you've made your, your life about you. Your sex about you. Your money about you. Your career about you. Your kids about you. Your shampooing about you. And your toenail clippings about you. Repent that you made the whole enterprise of your life about you. Because it's evil. Repent for your sins. And then, repent of your debts. Repent that you spent too much time chasing the headlines when what you could have been doing is knocking on your next door neighbors and finding out what they need. And while we're talking about things we've already talked about in this sermon, why don't we repent for even more? Why don't we repent for taking other people's strategies other people's tragedies and politicizing them to score political points instead of praying about them. And why don't we go even further? Repent for not doing the things that you were supposed to do. Repent that you were a dad who at some point cared more about March Madness than you cared about your child's heart. Repent that you are a wife who lets your husband wilt sometimes right next to you. Repent for being a church member who does only the easy things of service in the church as long as it minimally impacts your life. Repent for all of it. And then, and then, and then, and then. Dearly loved people of God, you turn your heart to Christ. He tells a story here. It's a story about this little tree. Fig tree, actually, it's planted in God's garden. It's a beautiful story. It's a story about a garden. God has this garden. He has this garden. There's this little tree, this fig tree, and God comes. This owner comes, and, and he looks for fruit on the tree. You know, he's been coming for years. All he's ever wanted was fruit on the tree. That's all he's ever wanted. He just wanted it to be a garden. He wants it to be this beautiful garden. That's all he's ever wanted. He shows up, and this tree is just sucking the nutrients. It's just, it's just hogging up space. 
And the, and, and, and the owner comes, God comes, he's surveying this, and, he, and, he, and, and all he's ever wanted was some fruit. He's, that's all. he's just wanted to come to his garden, papayas, apples, you know, passion fruit. Is that on a tree? Um, fig trees. That's all he's ever wanted. It's always like we just wanted, he just wanted people to, to stretch out the branches and put out flowers and then turn those babies into fruit so that other people could walk by and pick one and, and eat a bite of love. That somebody else could come by and smile because they tasted kindness. Somebody come by and, 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 and somebody just, there's this pie that's been baked from all the fruit and it's generosity. It's all God wanted. And he comes to his garden, he looks at the fig tree and his heart is broken and he says, I'm done. I'm done. And he turns into a lumberjack, he says, cut it down. Why should it waste the soil? It's just taking up space. Cut it down. And then the caretaker speaks up. Don't you see it? We have only one hope. I don't... I don't, like, I don't like preaching sermons like this. I call them John the Baptist sermons. You have to do them every once in a while and call people to repentance. I don't relish it. Do you know why I do it? Because I want to cut off all the other avenues. Because, because when you stop distracting yourself and when you stop denying the judgment then you see it. There's no other hope. There's only Christ. There's only one person who can step into the gap and say, God, don't. Don't cut down the tree. I'll take care of the, I'll do it. I'll take care of the tree. I'll, I'll, I'll do the nasty part. The manure. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. Don't cut it. One more year. One more year. Don't, Father. Don't. He's our only hope. That's the end of Christ's teaching right there. Seriously, that's it. Read it. That's the end. Doesn't it bug you? <laughs> God, please don't cut down the tree. Done. Doesn't that bug you? Don't you want to know what happens? I mean, I do. God, please don't cut the tree. It's, what's going to happen to the tree? I want to know what happens to the poor tree. Jesus, can you tell me what happens to the poor tree? Does the tree get clemency? Does it get cut down? God comes, he's cut down the tree. I want to know what happens to the tree. Especially because it's store about us. Don't you want to know? Don't you want to know if it works? Don't you want to know? Here's the tree. God comes, 
timber. God's turning into a a lumberjack. Is God going to let the caretakers ask stand? Don't you want to know the answer to the question? Don't you want to know how your life is going to turn out? Is God going to grant the ask of Christ? Is he going to grant the ask of Christ? Everything, 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 everything depends on it. Don't you see it? Everything, everything, everything depends on if God will listen to Christ and grant his request. Will he do it? Will the one who's come and mucked up all this manure in our hearts to fertilize us and draw us to repentance in Christ's powerful word, it works in our hearts, but will it move God? Will God grant the ask? Don't you want to know? Do you realize why Christ has done this? He ends the story because he wants to move us into real life. So we will go and see if God will grant the ask. And the answer is this. It's Lent and it's Easter in one. It's Good Friday and resurrection in one. It's it's sin and grace. It's judgment and release in one. Will God grant the ask? Because I want you to know that Christ made it. Christ made the ask with more than his words. Do you realize that? He made it with his life. He said, Father, here is my ask. And it was his death. Think of it. Think of it. It was, it was a horrific tragedy. Pilate mingles his blood with our sin. Horrific. Think of it, it wasn't, it wasn't just an accident. It wasn't, a, it's, the building code's messed up. There's some kind of architectural problem in the framework of the universe. Oh no, that's not what Christ said. He said, nobody takes my life from me. No, I lay my life down. It wasn't an accident. He died on purpose. He was making his ask. Father, will you let them grow in the garden? Father, will you give them time? Will you let me work on them? Father, will you? And the answer is, well, it happened on the third day. Yes, Jesus. 
Yes, I will raise you from the dead. Yes, I will exalt you to the highest place. Yes, I will seat you at the right hand of me. Yes, Jesus, yes, I will grant your request. Yes, Jesus, yes. Turn to him. Turn to him. Repent from from sin. Turn to him. He's your only hope. And in closing today, I want you to say this. I want to say this. He is the only hope you will ever need. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you are a great prophet. Your words sting. Your words can be hard, but your words are saving. May they go like an arrow into our hearts to cause us to repent and to turn to you in repentance and faith. In your name I pray.